Welcome to False Bottom Girls, a podcast about the wonderful yet sometimes confusing world of beer and brewing. Hi, I'm Rachel Hudson, owner of Pilot Brewing and an Advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair, sensory expert, home brewer, and Advanced Cicerone. Welcome everyone to this episode of False Bottom Girls. This is part two of our carbonation episodes that uh, Rachel is going through a bunch of different carbonation facts for us. So it, to you, it's been two weeks. To us, it's been like 30 seconds. Uh, but as we started talking, we decided this is going to be a two-parter um, because like I said, during the last episode, it's an hour long episode is not a big deal. We don't really want to give you all a two hour long episode to listen to. So we decided to break it into two. And if you haven't listened to the first carbonation episode yet, I would encourage you to listen to that first. This one, they're they're pretty standalone, I think, but Rachel may be referencing some things that we discussed in the first episode yeah. that it, it might not make sense if you haven't listened to it. True. I feel like our first episode was a lot about how to get carbonation into your beer, where this one's going to focus more on using carbonation to serve your beer. Yes, I think and that's what excellent. a beautiful natural break we made on that. Look at us. Look at us. Like it's like pros. we, yes, like <laughs> we know what we're doing sometimes. <laughs> so well, yes, Jen. Yes, I will let you start if you don't mind. Just explaining some gas laws, and then I'll just take it away from there. Sounds great. Well, Rachel, well, I will introduce you to my pals of partial pressure, Dalton and Henry. <laughs> so these are two laws that are going to be relevant for our discussions later when Rachel gets into actually serving beer and your considerations. So we put this in here because um, it's good to know that they exist, like to kind of be aware of them. Uh, neither one of us is a chemist or a physicist or a science ist scientist person <laughs> we're beerist yeah <laughs> we're doing the best we can ists so with dalton's law of partial pressure what the the basic message is for it is that it's important for understanding how gases move down their pressure differences by diffusion so dalton's law states that in a mixture of non-reacting gases which is what we have when we're talking about co2 and nitrogen the total pressure exerted is equal to the sum of the partial pressures of individual gases. So I think that is a very fancy way of saying like one plus one equals two. Yes, right? exactly. And Dalton. Right. And it, you know, it explains the changes in the atmospheric content of specific gases at different altitudes. Uh, so we'll, Rachel will talk a little bit more about what those considerations are in a little bit, but that's Dalton's law is basically the total pressure is the sum of its parts. Then with Henry's law, this is going to help explain how the solubility of a gas relates to its diffusion. So the diffusion being what we figured out with Dalton's law. So carbonation increases in a solution as temperature decreases. And Rachel mentioned that in her in the first episode regarding, you know, carbonating your beer. If your beer, the colder your beer is, the faster it's going to carbonate. So that's due to Henry's law. Henry's law applies only at specific temperatures that we know by Le Chatelier's principle, which is at a given partial pressure, the solubility of a gas in general is inversely proportional to the temperature. So that's a very convoluted way of just saying that 
the lower temperature, the more your CO2 stays in solution, the higher the temperature, the faster it's going to leave the solution. Yes. And those are the laws of draft service. Just kidding. <laughs> well, kind of. But uh, so we're talking about serving more CO2. We're going to talk about a couple different things, um, different types of draft systems, kegerator versus short draw, which is basically the same thing versus long draw. Not exactly the same thing, but basically the same thing. And then our jockey box situations and also a quick note about altitude and how you need to take that into account. Um, so a short draw system, we're talking about a keg box, a kegerator, a self-contained refrigerator, uh, walk-in coolers that share a wall with taps. This is basically the shortest distance you can get from keg to glass. Um, and typical for a home brewer, you're typically not going to be dealing with long draw systems at your house. If you are, that's very impressive system you have. Right. If you are, and, then you probably have somebody who comes and does this for you. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> So our for short draw system, CO2, 100% CO2 is going to be your primary gas used to dispense beer. Um, the CO2 in the headspace of a keg um, is going to serve to maintain proper carbonation within the beer and it also provides pressure to help move the beer out of your keg into your glass, right? So the level of carbonation in beer is going to respond to the changes in storage and serving carbonation. And if you take a look at this chart over here on the right that I have up before, this is going to be your chart to determine what you should set your regulator gas to, uh, your PSI. So if you carbonated the beer yourself because you brewed the beer, and let's say you carbonated it to 2.5 volumes, and let's say you actually know that because you have the, the equipment to measure that, which we will touch base on what you can use to measure that. Um, then you can use this chart to determine the serving pressure of your regulator that you need to tap with your keg. However, let's say you don't know the carbonation of your beer, which honestly, if you just, even if you had a, a quick carb situation to use you probably still don't know the actual volume co2 because you need to have a piece of equipment used to check that your taste buds will not tell you a number they will tell you if you are happy with the level of carbonation in your <laughs> beer or if you're not but they will not tell you a number and the numbers can be important now i do like to say this with like a little grain of salt like you don't if you don't know the number like it's okay i'm sure if you are at sea level, putting it, your regulator to a normal 11.5, 12 PSI is going to be fine and you can kind of adjust it from there to start. However, if you really want to be sure, there is a way you can determine it, the carb level of the beer or you can at least estimate it. And to do this, you're going to set the pressure to 5 PSI. You're going to tap your fresh keg and make sure that this keg is also been in the cooler long enough to be at the temperature of the cooler. And you're going to pull, pour a small amount of beer through the faucet and observe the beer and the draft line directly above the keg coupler, expecting, inspecting it for bubbles rising up from the beer into the keg. If bubbles are present, you're going to raise the regulator pressure by one PSI. Um, this is a very slow, precise method of checking. 
if you are a little bit more experienced, you know, you could probably raise it a couple more than that. But if you wanted to be sure, raise the regulator by one PSI and then repeat steps three for three through three through five. The ones I mentioned, pour the small amount of beer through the faucet and observe the beer. Repeat these steps until there's best bubbles are, are uh, not present. And then again, you'll check the keg temperature 24 hours later and making sure that the temperature is still stable. And if you need to make any adjustments, make it from there. And this will achieve the lowest pressure at which the gas in the beer is not escaping. So this is your ideal gauge pressure. And this is how you, if you were to get a beer, let's say you bought a keg from the local distributor and you're going to put it on your homebrew system and you're not sure what the carb level is of the beer, this is how you can determine that. And it's a good estimation. So that is the way to define, to deter, estimate a correct serving pressure for your keg if you do not know the volumes of CO2. Now, the, there are some dynamics between, um, so carbonation dynamics here at play, and the level of carbonation is going to respond to changes in storage and serving conditions, right? So for an example, let's say the we know that the keg has the carb level of 2.5 volumes, um, or you know what, for better yet, let's say you know your keg has 2.1 volumes. Let's say you know it's short CO2 and you need more because you, your goal is not 2.1. Well, a change in temperature can help get you the carbonation level that you need, assuming that your keg is hooked up to a gas source. And so if we have a 42 degree beer, and that's sitting at 2.1 volumes, if we lower that temperature to 34, if you are able to do that, you can increase the volumes of CO2 up to 2.5. Now, if you're not able to lower the temperature, but you are able to increase the pressure, you can increase the pressure on the regulator up to 13 to increase the beer to 2.5 volumes. Now, this is not an immediate reaction, the beer needs time to sit there under these new conditions for the carbonation levels to change. However, I have seen beer bars, beer bars that don't know that much about draft service is a great example, um, get kegs in and, you know, everything's set to 10 PSI for some reason, or <laughs> yep. like, even worse, everything set to, that happens set to 17 too. PSI. Yeah, like right. true. Happens a lot of places. But like, yeah, it seems like most places have like the guy who thinks he's the draft guy. Yes. No is one is well trained. No, <laughs> no one is. Well, it's hard. It's not easy. Like, first of all, the average bar manager, I guarantee you, does not understand carbonation dynamics. Sure. There's no fault of their own. There's no right. training when you when you work in a restaurant. There's just not. And um, far too many times. And it's such a sad little lost thing, too, because those bartenders could easily manage any issues with that little bit of knowledge by just knowing that if my pressure is too high, I'm going to have foamy beer. If my pressure is too low, I'm going to have foamy beer. It needs to be just right. Or not only am I going to have foamy beer, I'm going to either overcarb or undercarb my beer eventually. Mm -hmm. and, and that's um, not to make this a a commercial for anyone, but yeah. that's why I fucking love the company Bar Track. They, uh, I was one of their first customers when I was at my first brewery, and one of the things that Bar Track allowed me to do was I could pull up on my phone what the carbonation level and temperature was of every single beer on like all forty beer lines. 
And so if somebody was like, hey, this is pouring foamy, I could look at it because they would, the same thing, like you said, just that basic understanding that combined with draft guy. Yeah. The lines were always all fucked up. And so I, like, I could just pull it up on my phone and say, no, go in and turn this down. Or, you know, is, is the, the kegerator door open yes. because this temperature looks too high. Temperature is the number one issue with draft line problems. Yes. Bar track. Love them. I love that. I wish I could afford that. Um, so it's, it's good for, sorry. I, oh, I yeah, one, oh, last, good. one last bar track um, commercial. It's good for having long draw systems and if you have like the the brewery I worked at had four different bars with 40 different lines and like three different serving ways to serve, actually four different ways to serve. So that for me was just a really good way. I don't know if you have a direct draw with, you know, with 10 tap lines that True. that's much more manageable for you all. Yeah. And also someplace like Pilot you specifically, know. your employees are trained to know. Yeah, exactly. The more you know. That's right. Um, so your ideal gauge pressure for beer is going to be pressure at which CO2 is not diffusing from the beer into the headspace and excess CO2 is not absorbing into the beer. This varies from location. It depends on temperature. It depends on altitude and it depends on the carb level of beer. So on that note, before I switch over to long draw systems, I want to take a quick look at uh, taking altitude into account. Everything we've just talked about, all these numbers, all that chart I showed you, this is all assuming you're at sea level. Things change at the higher in the atmosphere that you go. So pressure gauges on draft systems, they measure in pounds per square inch gauge, TSCA for short, PSIG. This is the difference between the pressure in the keg and atmospheric pressure. Atmospheric pressure at sea level is always 14.7 PSI when you are talking draft systems, actually when you're talking basically everything, but um, when we're talking about calculations and looking for uh, what you need to do to make your draft flow perfect. So when you dispense beer at a higher elevation, the carbonation level of the beer does not change, but the pressure displayed on the gauge will read low approximately one PSI for every 2,000 of feet in elevation. So a keg dispensed at 10,000 feet elevation would need to have the gauge pressure increased by approximately five pisca above the calculated dispensed pressure at sea level. That is very important to take into account when you, if you are setting up your short draw system, your long draw system, whatever. Uh, the Brewers Association mentioned manual that, Jen mentioned earlier, there is a free, I say it's free source to it, but I'm not sure if that's true if you're not a member. It I is free, it is free PDF, okay. yeah. Yeah, there's a free PDF. Just Google Brewer Association Draft Quality Manual. There's a free PDF. You can download it. There's ones you can buy too. They, they even have what I really love. They have like the whole manual for you or for, you know, for anyone who wants to learn. But then they also have like a mini manual for like your bar customer. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that's my favorite. I love giving those out. <laughs> but um, that will show you exactly what you need to take into account setting up for your short draw system or your long draw system. But however, short draw systems are typically going to be easy enough 
to maintain flow of beer, you're going to use 100% CO2. Um, if you know the level of CO2 in the beer, that's great. You have your chart to figure out your dispense pressure. You now know about altitude and how to take that into account. Um, and if you don't know the CO2 level in the beer, that's great. I just showed you how to figure it out. But when you're talking about balancing the system and achieving flow, the beer must travel from the, the keg to the glass, um, as we know. And as it does, it's going to encounter some resistance. And the pressure applied to the keg needs to overcome this resistance. So to get proper flow and beer quality, the pressure applied to the keg must equal the total resistance in the in the system, right? And resistance comes from different parts of the system, different height of where the faucet is from the tap where the keg is tapped. So a balanced system is going to deliver a clear pouring beer of a rate about two ounces per second or about eight ounces per pint. Um, most direct draw systems, balancing the system is easy, and most of them will just take about four to five lengths of a type of vinyl tubing with the di inner, si inner part of diameter of the size of the 3 16th. It's a very common size vinyl tubing for short draw systems. If you want a base to start at, this is basically where you can start at for your kegerator. Um, some systems can benefit from going faster than that two ounce per second pour. But if you are going to do that, that should be controlled with restriction from either the beer line or the type of faucet and not by increasing your pressure. I think a lot of people make that mistake. They will like want the beer to pour faster for whatever reason, you know, high flowing bar and they increase the gas pressure and then their beer is all foamy and they don't understand why. Right. If you, best way to do that is to have really you're not going to go stop everything you do, change the type of diameter of the line and change it that way. The best thing to do is to have a flow control faucet where you can increase the speed and decrease the speed, um, which is what we have at the brewery. Because uh, the more you pour a beer, like if, it, if things are really busy and you find yourself pouring the same beer, that faucet is now becoming super cold. Everything is pouring a little bit. Um, it can go faster. It can handle the extra speed at that point. So that is my direction on short draw system for setting up and, you know, balancing your, your draft system is basically to go by this chart if you know your parameters. And if not, you've been shown how to figure it out. And then also, like we said, that draft quality manual is going to be great and explaining all this to you as well. But so long draw system is going to be pushing when the, when a long draw system, you probably don't really encounter this much as a home brewer. Uh, but let's say you just got a job at a local brewery and you want to know more. Uh, this is typically going to be pushing beer, usually requires gas pressures that are well above what's needed to maintain, to maintain the proper carbonation of beer. So we have to incorporate nitrogen as well. Um, the cool thing about nitrogen is that it doesn't absorb into beer at typical system operating pressure. So there's not a worry about adding a level of nitrogen to your beer that's going to affect the quality of your beer. Um, it's also an inert gas, which means it doesn't degrade the flavor of your beer. So it can be very perfect for blending with CO2 to achieve higher pressures without overcarbing the beer, because that's what we need. A long draw system is going to have more resistance due to the length of the, the vinyl tubing or the length of the trunk line from the keg to the glass and just other components as well. So you need to have a way of achieving all that 
overcoming all that resistance without destroying the quality of your beer. Um, so we like to use a mixture of CO2 and nitrogen gas, and this is going to achieve proper beer carbonation and while overcoming that resistance. And calculating the exact mix depends on your beer temperature, the level of carbonation in your beer. Are you serving a nitronized beer versus a regular CO2 beer? Um, the system resistance and the total applied pressure. So can I tell you, yes, can I tell you yes, how much I love doing the draft system balancing calculations? For, oh, they are awful, which is why they the, are not, for the, the master which, I'm glad, which I'm glad this is not a presentation on calculating dispense pressure because no, I love it. You're every, here every time I'm just like, yes, it's so awful, but Draft quality manual does a great job explaining how to do that. If you need yes. to achieve that, there are so many different scenarios when it comes to this. And I think the one thing to remember is your goal is one temperature affects everything. And two, um, you have to overcome all this extra resistance without overcarbing the beer. Yes. I will. Can I also yeah. say, can I um, just quickly interject that? when we're talking about calculating dispense pressure or like long draw systems and how to balance them, if you're looking for a really good tool, uh, McDantum has their easy blend app. That is one of my favorite things because what I can do if I'm, let's say I'm working on my own on, you know, trying to figure out a draft calculation, I can use it to check my work. Yes. Um, but you can do, like it will that. tell you, you can either do like what your blend is. So let's say, your, um, you will put in your temperature, your altitude, the alcohol content, the pressure and the CO2 content, and it will tell you what blend you need exactly. uh, into, or you can figure out the pressure that yeah. you need to apply. So depending on what factors you have, you can use this easy blend McDantum app and calculate that. And it will give that to you, Yeah, uh, which is also sometimes I'll just play around with it too, because the all of the different like temperature goes up, pressure goes down, all of that stuff mm -hmm. doesn't, isn't very intuitive to me. And I can play with this app and be like, okay, so if the temperature is this, then I can see how everything changes. Exactly. So, I love that. I wish, pretty, it's I awesome. wish on my like master test, if they asked me that, I'd be like, well, I get out my handy dandy app. Yeah. <laughs> right. Put in the parameters because I live in the year 2023. Right. Yeah. And then I also get out my app that has all the BJCP style guidelines on it. <laughs> yep. That's not updated because I have an iPhone. <laughs> Long draw system. That's what I got for you. Uh, if you need to learn how to balance it, go to the draft quality manual. They do a great way of explaining to you. And apparently this app is a great way of checking your work because they do not give you the answers. We actually did get a couple requests to make sure we talked about jockey boxes. More homebrewers are working homebrewer festivals, more beers being shared. Uh, what a better way to not have to bottle, put your beer in a keg, serve it from the jockey box, call it a done day. So we have two types of jockey boxes. We have our coil jockey box and we have our plate. Our coil jockey box is going to be, let's, let's imagine a, a beer cooler with coils inside of it that is running the beer through, delivering it from your keg to your faucet. They can have, these coils can run from anywhere to 50 to 120 feet. So that's very tightly wound up. We're imagining like a small piece of equipment. This is not like a huge, 
although it sounds that way. The faster the service that you need, the longer the coil that you want. The faster the service that you need and the longer the coil that you have, the more PSI you're going to need to overcome this resistance, right? Now, this is jockey box coil. Like, it's almost like a long draw system stuck in a tiny box. And we forget the rules about nitrogen. (laughs) (laughs) So that doesn't sound very good, does it? It's not. (laughs) So this is for, hopefully you're going to use this beer all day. Like you're going to kick the keg at the end of the day. If not, yeah, you still have a bunch of beer in your keg, but you've been serving at a really high pressure. So it could be overcarbonated. So these aren't like the best way to be serving beer in a longevity sense. Right. So like you said, this is like festival. This isn't, you're not going to open a brewery and serve beer out of jockey boxes. No, no, this is a quick service thing. And typically you're going to start around 20 to 30 PSI on your tank. And that's going to go up uh, if you have a longer coil run. So if you have a 50 foot coil run in your jockey box, you might start at 25 and if you, you might need to adjust it. And how do you know when you're good is when you achieve a, a good flow of beer. That's not pouring too foamy. So we're using 100% CO2 at very high pressure. Over time, we know that this is going to overcarb our beer. I have, I'm not saying that you are going to lose all your beer if you hook it up to a jockey box and you don't drink it all that day. You can like what I do at my home, because I would never do this in a professional setting, is I take the beer back to the brewery at my home and uh, hook it back up to the draft system and bleed off some pressure, get it back to its serving kind of pressure. Like, so what, what you do is now you have a bunch of CO2 in the headspace of your keg. Just release that. Get, stick it back in the cooler and it's probably going to be okay. Um, I wouldn't go like package from it and try to sell it. You wouldn't do that at your home brewery anyways. But um, ideally it's not going to be in the best condition as it was if it was beforehand, but it's still going to be drinkable. Now we, ha- now we have a plate jockey box. A plate jockey box is really great if your service is going to be slower. So if you are just have a handful of people, you still want to need to use this system. I would try to get this type of plate jockey box if you can. Um, It needs about 30 to 35 PSI for beer temperature beer of about 50 to 55 degrees. And that, although is high, you're not, a plate is specifically for slow service situation. So you don't need a bunch of CO2 or CO2 on it. You just need what's enough. Now you're still pushing everything through the keg up into its uh, some lines, but the the lines in the jockey box are nowhere near as long as the coils in your other style jockey box. So it has a plate in, plate chiller in there. Basically ice is kept over that chiller, just ice throughout service and as it melts it's best to dump the water and add more ice. Whereas a jockey box with coils, you're going to want to use ice water bath. And it is important to, to use to the distinction, the difference. Um, so those are your two types of jockey boxes and what you would need for serving pressure. A quick note about packaging. I don't, I don't have a ton of stuff on here, but basically when you are putting finished beer into any sort of vessel, except your glass, you don't want oxygen to be in that vessel. It's going to degrade the flavor of your beer and the shelf life of your beer. You want to purge these vessels with CO2. So it's a good rule to, if you have a hose going from your, your 
fermenting carboy to your your corny keg. You want to make sure that hose doesn't have oxygen in it. You want to purge it with CO2 if you can, if you're set up for that. Same with right. your bottles. Obviously, I wouldn't worry about it with um, bottle conditioning because you're putting certain ingredients in there that create CO2 that are going to scrounge around the oxygen. But when you are putting finished beer into bottles or cans or kegs, all of that needs to be purged with CO2. And also, you're going to lose some CO2 during packaging. Um, sometimes we will not overcarb something, but we will carb to a volume little tiny higher because we know that when our beer is coming out of our candy line, I know most people don't have a candy line, but if you have a bottling gun at home, when that beer hits air, it breaks out a little bit of CO2 out of suspension. It's just what happens. So you lose that when you are bottling. Um, not a, not a ton. I wouldn't say it's just really important to make sure you don't have undercarb beer. I have right. worked with some people before where we brought their beer in to package for them and it was undercarbed. And it was very hard to like get the head retention you needed to get the CO to get the oxygen out of the bottle to make sure you didn't have that little bit of oxygen in there because you need that a little bit of foam to push out when your beer is flat you don't have that so right what we do as as a home brewer um, going back to like purging the transfer equipment is i will usually fill my keg with the sanitizer like it's already been cleaned and i'm sanitizing the keg and mm -hmm. then i will hook like the out hose either into another keg or into a bucket to just have like a sanitizer bucket and then attach the gas and use the gas to push all of the sanitizer out. Yes. Because then you know that you have purged everything. Yes. And, exactly. and then like, you know, once you hear it sputtering because all the sanitizer is out, then you know that you can stop and you have a fully purged cake. Yeah. And I've had, I've heard people say before, like, well, the beer is just pushing everything out. So like, what does it matter? I'm like, your beer is touching oxygen as it's pushing all that out. Right. So it very much matters because you want the last thing your beer to touch is that layer of CO2. Right. And if you have a corny keg that you've allowed to just kind of fill up with CO2 before you put beer in it, that's what's going to happen. It's going right. to touch CO2. So it does matter. Very much matters. You don't want oxygen to touch your beer at any time except when you add it on your brew day. All right. Spunning valves. I love spunning valves. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> So, you were the first person I knew who was using spending valves and like high pressure lager yeast. Yes, I know. For me too. First person I know. <laughs> um, besides German brewers. Well, I guess they're not using high pressure lager yeast, but they're using spending valves. Right. <laughs> so, okay. What is a spending valve? Uh, spending valve is a great way to ferment beer under pressure. Um, I think spending valves introduced to the home brew market might be kind of recent within a couple years. Um, I know it's even been pretty recent to be doing this on a commercial brewery, but at Pilot Brewing, we have these valves that will sit on the tank that we can use to ferment beer under pressure. Now, why would we want to do that? Well, lots of yeast companies make this type of yeast now, but there is a type of yeast that's a high-pressure lager yeast that will ferment your pressure, your lager strain under pressure at about 14 PSI at 66 degrees. And what that does is it makes your fermentation go faster and it allows for a clean ferment. It, it keeps the esters and aldehydes from excreting at that higher fermentation temperature, which they naturally would on, on other, you know, ale fermentations. We get clean, quick lager beer. 
Queen Quick Lager Beer. Why is this really great for home brewers? One, we get to ferment at 66 degrees versus 50. So that's a lot easier on equipment wise. Now you still have your lagering phase that you have to do, but that's a lot of equipment on your uh, easier on, you know, keeping things. It's easier to keep things warmer at that temperature than it is colder. Um, these are a couple of valves. Uh, again, I'm looking at a slide that our listeners cannot see, but these are a couple <laughs> of valves that are made for corny kegs that have a regulator attached to them that will sit like on the, uh, imagine your corny keg, your gas piece, nose connection, connect to a little T holding a regulator and a little blow off valve. This will uh, sit on your fermenting. Let's say back up, back up, back up. To do this, you're going to be fermenting your beer in a corny keg. You cannot do this in a carboy. You have to do this in a vessel that will pressurize. So you're going to take your corny keg, you're going to ferment in your corny keg, and you're going to you know, have your brew day, knock out your beer into your corny keg, pitch your high-pressure lager yeast, seal her up, and then you will add your spunning valve, which has a regulator that allows you to set to release at a certain PSI. So as your fermentation starts, pressure will build up as we know it will happen. CO2 is produced. And once it reaches to that point where you've set your regulator, your 14 PSI, it will naturally release the pressure from your corny keg. This is one of my favorite ways to brew lager beer because I'm a business owner and I need to <laughs> ferment quickly. Um, we've had a couple of beers that we have not used high pressure lager yeast, but most of our lagers have used it. And this is a really great way to do it at home because before, like, there's no way of doing this unless you have one, a pressurized vessel and two, a way to release that. You're not going to be up all night, you know, watching nothing, <laughs> really you're watching, you know, taking a guess on when you need to release pressure. Um, but there's two types of uh, spunning valves. There's known as diaphragm versus a poppet. The, from what I could tell, the diaphragm seems to be the more uh, superior type. The poppet style spunning valve has a spring that pushes against the poppet to keep the valve closed. And when the poppet lifts up to open, the surface area of the gas pushes against, becomes larger, and the spring has to work harder to push the poppet down and seal the valve. So this can lead to more gas being released than intended. And uh, the remaining pressure in your vessel may be at a lower PSI than your spunning valve is set for. So apparently the diaphragm tends to be a little bit better of an option because it doesn't have the problem leaning, pushing up against the valve too hard and releasing too much pressure. So it tends to have a higher accuracy and remains the pressure remaining um, after the release will be much closer to what you you've set it. Um, so those are the two main difference of the types that you can get. Uh, but if you want to take a stab of fermenting under pressure, you would grab one of these spunny valves. Um, so again, the uh, benefit of this is helps reduce esters, acetaldehyde, and levels of a diacetyl as fermentation begins. CO2 production increases and the valve provides a safe way for the release of pressure. And then also you're going to uh, be able to absorb a lot of the CO2 in a natural way. 
So your level of CO2 in your beer when fermenting under pressure is going to be a lot higher than would it be if you did not do that. Um, and then you can also use it for transferring under pressure. If you are fermenting, I mean, I always think that you should transfer under pressure. It helps to control film control, foam control, control foam control, control <laughs> foam issues like or loss of foam. Uh, more specifically, it can because it can, can help control the speed. If you're going too fast, you're going to just allow a lot of that foam to break out of suspension. And once you lose foam forming particles, you can't get them back. And you want all that to be showcased in the glass of your beer, not lost under uh, when transferring. But when transferring under pressure, it's a good idea to have this little bit of pressure in the receiving keg, um, especially for beer that's already been carbonated. One, why? We don't want to lose the natural carbonation that we have worked so hard to get. Right. And the spunning valve allows control over this pressure and will give more consistent results without losing the carbonation in the process and creating that foamy mess. So that is all I have for fermenting and transferring under pressure using the spunning valve. And then we're just going to finish up this episode, episode about talking about some episode. episode. That's the way my brain feels. <laughs> About talking, uh, we're going to finish this episode up with some carbonation safety and troubleshooting. We talked before about how you can test the level of your carbonation of beer and, you know, what you can do about it. And we will talk about what you can do about it if it's overcarbed or undercarbed, if there's anything you can do. So, one thing, you know, let's just talk about what happens if your beer is overcarbed. How do you know if your beer is overcarbed? It's probably pouring too foamy and it probably tastes overcarbed. Um, is your beer in a bottle? If it is, there's really not much you can do. Uh, you can probably maybe pour it hard into your glass, try to knock out some of that, but you're probably going to be fine and you can enjoy it just the same. Is your beer in a keg? There is a couple. There are a couple ways that you can fix this. If your beer is overcarbed and it's in a keg, one, you could hook it up to the draft system, release a little bit of pressure from your PRV, and then set your, your gauge pressure to the correct level that it would need to carbonate at the right level, and it will correct itself over time. Um, uh, Rachel, yeah. what is a PRV? Sorry. A PRV is a pressure release valve. You have one of these on your corny keg that you use to release pressure when you take off the lid. They're on a draft system with a keg that has a Sankey, with a Sankey keg, like a, a commercial keg. If you're to use that and you have a coupler, you have a PRV on that coupler as well. There's also a PRV on your gas tank regulator. These are a PRV, pressure release valve. These are valves that you can pull to release a little bit of pressure. Um if you have an overcarbonated keg, you can use the PRV to lower the pressure and allow the beer to release some of the gas back into the keg. Um, then set the beer to the appropriate pressure on your draft system and let it continue to carbonate over the next two or days, if two or three days, if you have knocked out too much pressure of your um, beer. There's also what's called the mallet technique. Have you ever heard of this? I have not, and I'm suspicious. So I'm also a little suspicious. I've done it before. I'm not sure how well it works because I've never been able to really test anything. But story time. When I worked at Hardywood, they got this call that a lot of the kegs in the market were overcarbed. So this wasn't like a draft issue thing. This was like an us thing. So 
we went out into the market with mallets and we went to each account and we just banged on the side of the kegs to release some pressure, I guess, up into the draft system. Like they were like hooked up still like to the draft system. And apparently it worked. Apparently it was fine. Don't, don't do that. I <laughs> don't just banging a pressurized vessel with a mallet just sounds like <laughs> I'm not you are forever smart. going to be the example used on why not to do that. Yeah. Well, yes. Um, so there's that. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it, but apparently that's that's what I did at one time, and apparently it worked so well, and that's cool. I have never had to do that since, but you know, you might, you might try it. I feel like if your beer is in a keg, even at a draft, you know, even in that scenario that I just explained to you at Hardywood, they could have fixed those problems with adjusting the draft system. Mm -hmm. But this is also, you got to remember that would only work if you have individual regulators for your line too, which not a lot of places do. A lot of places have, bundles of draft lines to one regulator right so if you're going to try to fix an undercarb keg by adjusting that you're going to fuck up the other kegs that are on that regulator so there's a lot of variables that come with it but is your beer undercarbed again how do you know it pours flat it tastes flat uh lacks of foam or head is it in a bottle there's nothing you can do with it nothing you can do about it you could cook with it you can drink it still um if you're cooking with beer, you need to knock out the carbonation anyways. So there you go. Uh, if Is your beer in a keg? Just hook it back up to the gas. Let it naturally carbonate with the draft system. Uh, is it keg conditioned and you undercarbonate it? The only thing that you could probably do here is clean a new keg, add some more priming sugar, and transfer the beer on to that new keg. I don't think you should open... I guess with a corny keg, you probably could release uh, pressure, open the top, add more priming sugar, but you're going to lose a lot of what you just yeah. achieved and you're introducing your beard oxygen and a step that you don't really need to. Um, so how do you, how can you check? Well, if you have a fancy tool, you can check. Otherwise... You have your taste buds. Like it, literally, that's what it comes down to. You have your the quality of beer that you taste. You have the quality of beer that you see when you're pouring out of the draft system. And then you can get a tool. Uh, what I have up here, I have that you cannot see because you're listening to me, is called <laughs> a tap right. This is a way to check the carbonation level of beer. I, I I fail you in the sense that I do not know if you could just take a can of beer and open it and put it in here. I guess you wouldn't do that. This is a tool that you can use to check the carbonation level of your beer. Um, you gather a sample and it will let you know that the pressure and the temperature of the beer. And you basically use that carbonation chart, same chart from before, to determine what the carb level is by knowing the, the pressure of the beer and the um, temperature of the beer. And the tap right will tell you those two things. Uh, this isn't the most expensive tool. It's not the most cheap tool. Uh, we have one at the brewery that we never used because we were, when we were opening it, we were like, oh, let's just get this like $100 tool versus like $1,200, um, which is a professional tool that's still on the cheap side. And we've never used it because it is not that good compared to a ZOM. This is a 
very bougie way of checking the carbonation level of your beer. Do you need it? Probably not, if unless you're going to be a packaging home brewery, which why would you do that? But you can buy this tool if you want to know exactly what carbonation level you are working with. We're going to end this with some safety. Obviously, personal protective equipment, PPP, is a must. But what else can happen? Or what other considerations do you need for safety? Uh, there are safety rules for gas tanks. If you, uh, most home brewers I know have gas tanks. They can be dangerous. They can drop. They can explode. They can shoot off. I have a really scary story one time. So such a stupid idea on my part. And this is why you secure your gas tank. But I went to go get one filled up. I threw it in the back of my back seat, making it like it wouldn't move around and be fine. And I was wrong. And I moved around and it opened. <gasps> this was actually um, an oxygen tank. It wasn't CO2. But uh, I was like driving down the street, coming to a stoplight, and it just some, something hit and it allowed it to open. And it just started going off in the car. And I was like, ah! I just like stopped where I was and just like got <laughs> oh out of the car, like in the middle of the street, just got out of the front seat, opened up the back and just go and like shut it off real quick. And this guy's like, are you OK? And I was like, yeah, my stupid fault. I like showed him real quick, like like for somehow he understood what I was showing him. And I like, yeah. Showed- like oh i was like my bad this shit was scary and then like i don't know sometimes things happen and i just don't tell anybody and then like i went back to the brewery and just continued on my day and like the week later like jeff's like brewing he's like that gas company skipped you on oxygen we just got this take (laughs) and it's like down to here and i was like oh no this is what happened (laughs) (laughs) so there are safety rules for gas tanks. You always connect them to your uh, connect the CO two cylinder gas cylinder to a re- reducing valve or a regulator. You never connect the gas cylinder directly to the keg, um, and you want to secure the cylinders cylinders in an upright position. Keep keep them away from heat. Never or drop or throw a cil- cylinder. Obviously, you wouldn't drop anything on purpose. Hopefully, but don't do that. They will explode. They can shoot off like rockets. I've seen it happen before. Uh, ventilate after a CO2 leakage. Um, always check the Department of Transportation test date located on the neck of the cylinder before installation. And if don't use it, if it's over five years old, go return it. Uh, never connect a product container unless there are two safety mechanisms in the pressure system. One would be at the CO2 regulator. Um this is the regulator supplied should be inclusive of this mechanism already. And one would be at the product container coupler. This is that PRV that we were talking about. Make sure that these have those release valves. Um, all right. Story time. Uh, so different things that can happen. CO2 exposure is deadly. It is a real thing. It doesn't take long. If you are in a closed environment where CO2 is displacing oxygen you can be dead in as short as 15 minutes the problem with this unless you basically know that's happening is that there are not a ton of warning signs there are some warning signs when you have low exposure like nausea headaches dizziness um low awareness and unless you know what's kind of happening you might not you're not going to smell it necessarily sometimes it, a really strong leak can make my nostrils burn that is not the same as smelling it that can't happen though but um 
it's deadly. CO2 is deadly. There is a popular story of a big brewery, really big brewery, where one guy went into a tank and didn't come out because he didn't let it ventilate long enough. And someone else went in there looking for him and also didn't come out. So <laughs> there are real ways that you can die from CO2 exposures. Um, gas tanks. I have seen a gas tank sh shoot off or like somehow become open and just shoot down the side of the, the hallway. And if you've ever seen anything like that, they can, it's so forceful that it put a dent in the back steel door. Wow. It's very dangerous and um, real things can happen. People do die in breweries. Um, exploding kegs. There is a story of another brewery from a long time ago where plastic kegs at a time were very popular and not safe. Plastic kegs are not safe. And this pressure seal somehow released and a keg exploded and the spear came flying out and killed the cellar man working on, on the keg. So there's real concerns and it's important to train your staff. If you know, if you have staff or if you're using gas tanks on your home to be wary of these um, concerns, especially, you know, something with gas is under a lot of pressure and we're talking about gas that can kill you if, you know, you become in an enclosed room with it. So lots to think about. And, oh, real also, it's also important to, you know, as we th mentioned, keep these things upright. It's also important to make sure your um, regulators stay upright. You can very easily break those things and they are expensive. Do right. not, like treat them like your firstborn. Right. So that is the end of my carbonation presentation. Hey, I like that rhymes taking care of fizzness. <laughs> well, thank you, Rachel, for sharing this all with us. And thank you everyone for listening. If you were at homebrew con and got to hear this in person live and you're not still like too sticky from all the beer that Rachel sprayed <laughs> all over everyone to demonstrate carbonation. Um, <laughs> still going to thank on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can pull this off. But yes, we appreciate all of you listening. And Rachel, I appreciate you putting this together and telling us all a little bit more about carbonation. I know I learned definitely a lot and I know I still have more to learn. So you can find us on social media at False Bottom Girls on Instagram and Facebook. You can email us falsebottomgirls at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at falsebottomgirls.com. Uh, taking care of business every day. Taking care, care of business, fizzing all the way. way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I can get them to play this song while I come out <laughs> with your cans. <laughs> like damn the lights. Start with the 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 mood lights. Like start right. the gas. Like, the lasers. Pew, pew, yeah. pew, pew. Start the song, and I just come out with my cans. Like I got cans strapped around my waist, right. ready to like go, a, like a bandolier. Yes, even better. And I just start <laughs> pulling them out. This has been False Bottom Girls, and we make the brewing world go round. <laughs> <laughs>